When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, the team previews roll on tonight. We go to Chestnut Hill, Massachusetts, and talk to none other than our good friend, Mr. Dan Rubin. is is wonderful to have him back on the podcast. But first off, Mike, how you doing? You ready to talk BC? I am. I am. It was a pretty informative interview until I took it totally sideways. <laughs> yeah, there was a uh, quite the curveball that you threw, Dan, in the middle of it, and it was it was. I mean, it's a valid question, but. Hey, it caught both he and I off guard, so I, I applaud you on on that, the ingenuity there. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That it's the least it's the least I could do to preview the Boston College Eagles. What can I say? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and that's that's kind of the point, you know. And we'll get into this kind of late in the podcast, but um, you'll you'll notice there's a bit of a theme as we go through this that um, the answers to a number of these questions are not necessarily just answers to questions about Boston college football in 2020, as much as it is answers to questions about anything in 2020. So you'll see what we mean as we get into this, but um, I, Mike, I, I thought it was a particularly insightful, interesting conversation with Dan as we go through a coaching change here, scheme change. I mean, the, the, the program itself seems like it's kind of being redesigned and there, there's a lot to talk to that I, I don't know that we've really had, a great opportunity to get a lot of insight on otherwise since that hire was made. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, and you know, you and I have talked kind of on the surface and we've been doing kind of the broader ACC previews, like before we kind of went into these individual team discussions, we talked about, Hey, what's Boston college going to be and how long is it going to take for Jeff Halfley to turn things around at BC, if at all. And that's kind of been the the major question. You're hiring a guy with no real head coaching experience, but he was an assistant who was high on everybody's list. So there's obviously some intrigue there. And we dove into that with Dan. I thought he thought he had some pretty interesting answers to kind of back up why he thinks this could work. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, that among a number of other topics that we got into through the course of this discussion. So let's let's go ahead and jump into that. So, Mike, without further ado, here is our conversation that we just finished up with Mr. Dan Rubin. Take a listen. Check it out. All right, Mike, we now welcome back long term esteemed guest, one of the one of the earliest guests that we ever had on this podcast, longtime friend of the program, our only source for the best Boston College information. Mr. Dan Rubin rejoins the program. Dan, welcome back. It's so good talking to you again. How you doing, man? You hanging in there? I feel like every year I get to dust off my chalice to to talk some uh, to talk some college football with you guys. Good to see your your shining faces, and I uh, hope you guys are safe and doing well. Well, it's so good to see you too, Dan. And and we are doing well, and we're 
cautiously optimistic, we'll say, about still having a college football season. Um, we record this the evening of uh, Monday, August the 17th, and as we know for now, there is still a college football season to be played. Um, who's to say whether that'll be the case here by the time the episode's posted or not? But uh, in any case, we are going to sit here and, uh, and catch up a little bit about Boston College, and it's been a particularly busy an interesting and unique offseason here for the Eagles uh, coming into 2020. After 2019, we had Steve Adazio fired from, from the program after several years, most of which were at least average years. I think there was only maybe one year of his tenure. He didn't make a bowl game, but at some point there was also just a, a really low ceiling on the program. There was, there was kind of a, a, a struggle to win more than if I'm, if memory serves seven or eight games was maybe the, the best that they ever did. Um, it was like seven and six almost every year that he was there. And so uh, athletic director Martin Jarmond decides to make the move and move on from Steve Adazio, conducts a search, hires uh, Ohio State defensive coordinator Jeff Halfley, which is interesting to me on, on a certain level because this is the first time Jeff Halfley's ever been a head coach, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Halfley, a guy that and also also has a bunch of NFL background, NFL experience, brings in a staff that's really heavy on NFL experience and all this. Then a couple months later, Martin Jarman leaves and goes and takes the athletic director job at UCLA. And so I guess just on some level, I'm, I'm curious to know kind of what the fan bases take on this whole hiring process is. And then with Jarman so quickly leaving afterwards, is there any question about how this whole thing went down or is it just generally this feeling of optimism of, we just hired the defensive coordinator from Ohio state and really like the direction the program's going. I think there's a lot of optimism. I think there's a lot of optimism and excitement. Um, you know, Martin, Martin was, was awesome. He was, he truly was the, the right fit at the right time to, to stem some of the, uh, the movement for, for Boston college football and, and for Boston college in general, the hires that he made, he knocked them all out of the park. And, and when I say he knocked them all out of the park, you're talking about sports outside of your, your two main quote unquote sports, right? Everyone always talks about men's basketball and football, but women's basketball would have been an NCAA tournament team. If, if the tournament hadn't been canceled this year, volleyball won more games and matches than I think it had ever won since joining the ACC uh, baseball expansion of the baseball program with different things and different facilities, facilities wise, just an investment in fan engagement. And so Martin did some things that that hadn't been done in a very long time at Boston College, and and it put him on the map. It, I mean, he was on the map when he when he came to BC, and and he certainly helped to raise his profile. And anytime UCLA comes calling, I mean, you'd be hard to you'd be hard pressed to find anybody who who would put any job over uh, over UCLA. I think maybe one or two schools maybe can lay claim to that. But he uh, he took the job, moved over to to Los Angeles, and and uh, became the first black uh, Af uh, African-American athletic director in UCLA program history. So also that, that bears mentioning when you're talking about a program that was Jackie Robinson's baseball program, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar at, at, uh, in, at, in basketball and, and Arthur Ashe. I mean, that's a, that's a trailblazing type of, of position and, and, and he deserved everything that he got there. Back in Chestnut Hill, you're, you're leaving a legacy even in, two or three short years in, in that short time where you made all these hires, the, the Joanna Burnaby, Mark McNamee for women's basketball. And then you, you, you capstone it with, uh, with, with Jeff Halfley, who is arguably the, the, the hottest quote, hottest free agent or hottest prospect at the coaching position 
um, when you make the change in that position in that area. Um, from an athletic director standpoint, Patrick Kraft is the new athletic director. He comes in from Temple, another guy who is a great um, reputation in terms of fan engagement, in terms of of helping to build some of the things that Temple was doing um, down in the AAC. So there's still a lot of a lot of positive uh, momentum going through Boston College, even though there has been that turnover. And and every now and then, guys, you got to go through it. And when you go through it, you you feel good about it. All right, Dan, so let's touch a little bit more specifically on Jeff Halfley, right? So, you know, we mentioned the Steve Adazio years, very up and down, very defined ceiling, like Joey mentioned. And then Steve Adazio gets let go. And it, it was kind of funny when, when it happened, because Joey and I sat here, and we were like, really wondering what it would take for Boston College to kind of pull the trigger and try to move in a different direction um, with the football program just because of what they were, defined ceiling. Do they want more than just going to a bowl game every year and, you know, playing a 50-50 toss-up game in like a bowl before Christmas? Like, do they want to do a little bit more than that as a program? And then sure enough, they let Steve Adazio go. They hire Jeff Halfley. So, Number one, Adazio out the door going to Colorado State um, after he was like, oh, a little bit of surprise he landed there so quickly. But then number two, like bringing in Jeff Halfley from Ohio State and that pull that Martin Jarman, like you mentioned, the fact that they were able to pull him in um, at, right before Martin Jarman leaves and goes to UCLA seems like a really huge cue. So what do you think of the Jeff Halfley hire, number one, um, but number two, kind of the legacy or lack thereof that Steve Adazio leaves at Boston College for Halfley to take over for? Well, I think there's a, you know, there's a, it's complex. It's complicated. Everyone tries to to boil down what was the Steve Adazio era at Boston College into a neat box. Um, I don't necessarily think it's that easy to do um, because there's so many different nuances. People forget he took over a program that was coming off of six wins in two years, coming off a two and 10 season, and he restored BC to a bowl game while producing a Heisman Trophy finalist in Andre Williams. It was seven years ago. It feels like it was, you know, 30 years ago at times because with the way college football turns over and how quickly the the, the cycles go. Um, so there was that 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 initial burst where he was, uh, you know, a, a top tier ACC coach, and and it, those first two years, you know, you were wondering, oh, what's BC going to do to keep him in Chestnut Hill? And then what happened was the 2015 season happened. There was, oh, you know, that team was just destined to have a tough year. And, but BC was able to rally past that, but they just weren't able to get over the hump. And I remember talking about it after the after they they moved on and and after the football program and after BC parted ways with Steve Adazio. And I said, you know, from a from a competitive standpoint you knew what you were getting and you knew you were going to be a tough football team. You were going to be able to compete with anybody on any given week. You just never got over that hump. And I think after a while being the bar and being that seven and five, six and six, seven and six, you wanted more. You want to look at your program and you want to say, look, we, we've got the facilities. We've got the, all of this now. Now we want to push. This is what it takes to get to that top level. Not necessarily because you looked back at, 
you know, 13 years ago and said we were that in in 2007 or, you know, whatever it was. Yeah, 13 years ago in 2007 with Matt Ryan or that's what we were in 1993 when the Big East came about or that's what we were in 1984. You want to look at 2021, 2022, 2023 and say that's what we want to be. We want to be the team that challenges Clemson and what do we have to do to get over the hump? And when you looked at the program, you had to make the decision and and understanding that Steve Adazio was not going to be the coach necessarily that got you over that hump. The opportunity presented itself. You bring in Jeff Halfley and your hope is that Jeff Halfley is now the coach to get you over that hump, get you to the eight wins, get you to the nine wins. And the energy that he's brought, the the injection of freshness that he's brought, I think has has made that all you know, envisioned. You can kind of see it. You can, you can, you can think that maybe it could happen with the coaches he's brought in. He retained one coach, Rich Gannell, who was absolutely beloved by by BC people. Um, he was the interim head coach for the for the bowl game. He's he's a BC guy through and through. But he brings in these coaches, guys like Frank Signetti, who is the quarterbacks coach for the Green Bay Packers, to be the offensive coordinator. Uh, Vince Ogabasi, who who played at Duke and was a, an assistant coach out on the West Coast to be your defensive line coach. Tem Lukabu, who was at Mississippi State, who, who coached for the, the Cincinnati Bengals, coached linebackers. You're bringing in guys that you can put in a room who are all young, experienced at the NFL level, experienced at the college level, and can mix all of these fresh ideas and fresh takes on on what you are as a program and enhance it. And that's what you're hoping then builds the infrastructure or enhances that infrastructure to get you over the hump with the personnel, not only in place, but also from their reputation as recruiters, which is already paying off, you know, when you're, when you're talking about the, the rankings and you're talking about things that are coming through. I can't tell you the amount of times that the recruiting coordinator has like posted a, a GIF on, uh, on Twitter and you've been like, ah, he got me again. There's another one coming. Dan, we were sitting here a year ago and, and looking at, Georgia Tech's offense and saying that they were probably undergoing the single most drastic shift from a schematic standpoint, really in the country, moving from Paul Johnson's option offense to uh, something a little more conventional here under under Jeff Collins. I feel like we could almost – I don't know if it's going to necessarily be a seismic shift on that level with Boston College this year, but certainly going from whatever Boston College's offense was under Steve Adazio – to whatever it's going to be here under Jeff Halfley and, as you mentioned, Frank Signetti, and not to mention that now we're going to be moving on from Anthony Brown and moving to either Dennis Grissel and or Phil Jerkovic, or excuse me, Jerkovic, as we talked about before. Uh, there is a proper pronunciation of that name. Um, I, I look at this and I see, you know, kind of a potential shift in quarterback style. I don't really know. I mean, as you mentioned, Signetti coming from several years of work in the NFL as a quarterback's coach and all this. Do we know much of anything of what this Boston College offense at a high level is even going to look like? Or, I mean, is it somewhat well-defined at this point as you understand it? Uh, no, no one knows what it's going to look like. And I'm not sure at times they know what it might look like because they, they lost out on a lot of practice time. Um, actually that was something that they, that they've brought up that they only had five practices during the spring to install the offense. Um, and then before everybody was sent out of, off of campus and campus was, uh, was essentially scattered. Um, everybody was sent home and, and everything then took place over zooms and, and meetings. So they actually never installed in the spring, like basic stuff like third down, red zone, short yardage concepts. They never got to it until last week. 
Um, so they've started, it, you know, further installing the offense. So we're not really sure what it's going to look like. Um, we have an idea based on, you know, you, you interview guys and you talk to them and, and we've got, we've got a pretty real good setup with, with zoom where, where we get to do some press conferences and, and talk to the, the players and, and coaches. And we've talked to the both coordinators, uh, defensive coordinator, Tim Lukabu, offensive coordinator, Frank Signetti, Jeff Halfley, almost every day, um, and what you realize is that the way that they're talking is they don't necessarily want to get away from what makes Boston College Boston College. You've got too good of an offensive line to abandon your running game, spread everybody out, and and run you know a, a Big 12 passing offense out, out there. I don't think they want to do it, number one. And number two, I don't think that, that BC's wired to do that, and I, I don't think you can unwire the offense. I think what, instead what you're looking at is saying, look, we've got – pretty darn good offensive line, probably the one of the best, if not the best in the country. We've got a power running back who is the heir to a guy who is just a second round pick, ironically, going to the Green Bay Packers, uh, A.J. Dillon. So you've got David Bailey back there. You don't want to get away from being able to plow the road and, and wear down offense and wear down defenses. But what you have to do is occasionally hit those explosive 20-yard passes, 25-yard passes, be able to move the ball quickly with with a quarterback who can hit those different plays and spread out and give defenses different looks so that they don't just load the box with 10 guys. I mean, it, that was the one criticism that I think was very valid. And, and I like the offense. I like power running. I genuinely did. I think when you look at the power running game and you say, all right, we can run gap scheme, of, you know, 12 play drive, 13 play drive between the tackles that that wears down a defense, it, but it also wears down your offense. So you, you, you want to be able to move a little bit quicker. And, and we did, over the last couple of years, install tempo. They did have no huddle and they did have tempo. But I think there's a big difference between lining up multiple tight ends and just running the ball because you had A.J. Dillon and you could run the ball and, and then maybe hit a 50-yard pass to a new style of offense that says we can still run the football, but we're going to be able to spread them out and throw the football with a lot more regularity in, a, in such a way that spreads out defenses and causes different formations and disguises coverages. So, Dan, from that identity change, right, you lose A.J. Dillon, you still have David Bailey, Phil Dracovic, now a quarterback, should conceivably be a step up from Anthony Brown, just considering how highly touted he was, the fact that he can make all these throws, but he's still a dual-threat guy at the end of the day. But what kind of adjustment do you think this ends up being for the offense, right? You're going from a completely different scheme change. That's before you take into account the fact that it's a new quarterback and you don't have A.J. Dillon anymore. But then it, by the same token, you're also in a COVID-19 environment, which everybody's in, but just makes it that much more difficult on a first-year head coach. So what do you think realistically for Boston College the learning curve looks like for this offense? Honestly, I, I wouldn't necessarily put too much of a, a of a of a huge learning curve on it because they're they're pretty smart guys. Uh, you know, they Boston College. The reputation has always been tough, rugged football players who who translate well to the NFL because they're smart, they're intelligent, they can pick up complex anything. Uh, it's a school with a with a very good academic reputation, and that kind of plays into it. Does take a certain kind of football player to play football at Boston College? because they have to be able to, to hack it academically. And if they can hack it academically, then they can, they can certainly hack it with, the, with a complex scheme. So I think they can learn it relatively quickly. The question is, what plays can they execute? And ex knowledge versus execution. 
I think in the beginning, what happens in week one, quote unquote, where, you know, the, the first week of the first game that you play is going to look very different from the end of the first season is going to look very different from the second season because they're going to be able to install and execute more things. They're going to make mistakes. All right. That's that's one of the big things that Jeff Halfley always talks about. You learn it. You drill it. You do it. You make mistakes. You go back. You look at the film and you correct it. Well, if you only have a certain amount of film against your own teammates, eventually you have to play an opponent. And whenever that first game comes, you're going to make mistakes. And and whether or not the playbook, which, you know, may be thick and, and have hundreds upon hundreds of plays, they have to trim that down for that first game. Then, then that's what they're going to do. And then they're going to continue to install and install. So I don't know if necessarily the, you know, like you were saying, the learning curve. I don't know if the learning curve is going to be so great. One thing that I do think is that the execution of that learning of, of what they've learned is something that may need to change or, or may need to enhance as the season goes on, as opposed to having it ready to go for week one. Dan, let's flip over and, and talk about the defense a little bit. And I thought one of the interesting, inter- interesting things about uh, Halfley's short tenure at Ohio state was he talked about how one of the things that their defense was struggling with a good amount before he got there was that things were too complicated. Like the, there was a lot of thinking, there was a lot of more complex scheming going on. And he was like, we've got better players than they do in almost every game that we play. Like, don't make it complicated. Just let them go play and do their thing. Um, and so they really just simplified their scheme. And it's interesting thinking about that in terms of Boston College because Boston College now brings back a ton of production on defense. Um, I think by the, the numbers, it's like something like top 15 in the country in terms of defensive returning production. And now this defense has struggled in recent years under Steve Adazio. And so I guess I'm a little curious to your take on what you expect defensively of is, is Jeff Halfley and his staff going to go with something maybe a little bit more complex defensively to take advantage of some of these, you know, older, more, uh, more seasoned veterans that they have on that side of the ball, or is it, continue to kind of keep it simple and get some guys integrated within the system and try to build on that in future years. You know, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. Like not, not, and having not seen this team, I think that's part of the the thing that, like I said, when you miss out on, on going to practice or, or seeing scrimmages, which we're unable to do in the, in, in it, obviously for, for good reason, this, uh, this training camp, you're not able to get down there and, and even just see them go through the first 10 minutes of drills before practice closes to the public and, or see the last 10, or when I say the public, the media, or the last 10 minutes of the, the practice before the media availability, um, you know, you, you really miss out on that and you really miss out on seeing the scrimmages. But the because of that, you just don't know what to expect from the defense. You, you want to say, well, all right, you, you're returning a lot of guys that are guys like Max Richardson, who elected to come back for a fifth year, and guys like Brandon Sebastian, who's a who's very good over-the-top uh, defender on the defensive backfield. Jason Matry can play the slot. You have guys who can play different positions. Tate Haynes, defensive back. You know, you've got defensive back like Mike Palmer who can play the safety position. You've got all of these different areas. I don't know if you're going to just throw them out there and say, all right, we got to run just straight four, three zone defense, man to man, see what we can cover because you also don't have the same type of athletes as you do at Ohio state. And I have no problem admitting that. I mean, you're looking at guys at Ohio state who can run like uh, Je- Jeff Okuda is not, is a special player. Uh, you know, um, who's the, who's the other one who's drafted 
uh, in the top three. It was Chase uh, Chase Young, right? It was he was he was the Ohio yep. State defense. Yeah, you, you, that's a special kind of player. Like you're not going to get those type of guys anywhere, let alone you know when you're looking at at guys that were maybe three star guys or two star developmental projects. Um, so what I think is you have to get a little bit more complex. You have to be able to teach the defensive line what the safeties are doing, and that's something they're actually doing. They're, the defensive backs need to know where the line goes. The line needs to know where the safeties go and be able to function in such a way that everything comes together knowing where one guy needs to be and make it a little bit more complicated. Now, in the shortened time frame, again, not installing certain things before training camp and, and going through the workouts, how that takes shape is going to be really interesting. The coaching staff is very happy. Uh, they, they're happy with the way things are developing. They're happy with the leadership. They're happy with the way the defensive line's playing twitchy, playing slippery, with the defensive backfield being able to make turnovers and, and lock down in a certain way. How that scheme comes together, we won't know until we see them step on the field. And it's a lot murkier because everyone likes the offense. Everyone likes scoring points. No one likes stopping. No one likes talking about how you played a zone defense and took away the the secondary option coming over the middle. Everyone just wants to talk about the quarterback firing 55 yards downfield. It's not, it's, it's, you know, it's not what it is. It is what it is. I should say. So I'm not sure how it's going to come together after that whole long winded response, but I'm sure at some point you're going to see something happen and you're going to be like, Oh, defensive back made that guy able to get back in the, like he had way too much time to throw the football and the defensive lineman got right back there. So I'm interested. That's all I can say. I'm really intrigued at what's going to happen there. How much do Boston College fans miss Jeff Jackazinski? <laughs> I don't know. It's 13 years ago, so it's. Uh, I feel like. I feel like. I don't know. I, I feel like that was a great era, right? 2007, 2008. That was awesome. I. I mean, that was that was great. You went to two straight ACC championship games. But I, I am I am of the opinion in that you, you don't look back, right? Like I, I grew up watching the '93 team win at Notre Dame. I watched them pummel Notre Dame the next year at home. I watched those teams in the 2000s, and I don't look back. I think it's great. I thought it was awesome during the um, during the, the the quarantine period up here in Massachusetts. We we saw every Thursday on YouTube, they put an old classic game from the 80s, 90s, or, or 2000s on. We saw a lot of the old Tom Coughlin era. And, like, it was awesome. I, I got to write a lot of preview articles about, like, like I was sitting in that era. Like, used a lot of my soundtracks from the 80s and 90s. But it was a uh, – but I don't know. Like, you look back at that era and you just look at it and smile. But you don't want to relive that as, uh, unless you have nothing else to relive. You want to create – what's the line from Tim Riggins? You want to make some memory, Seven? Yeah, I, I just went full Friday Night Lights on this. I made a Tim Riggins <laughs> reference, I know. Dan, I don't know if I necessarily have a follow-up question for that as much as I just want to shout out Mike for uh, – we're, we're throwing a bunch of heaters at you, and then he just slipped a 69-mile-an-hour slurve, a uh, little Ephus pitch. <laughs> <laughs> I see Doug We're Mike. expecting well, that well. one. Yeah, nobody was expecting <laughs> that, so I figured I'd just slide it right in there. <laughs> well – Good news. Good news. I was sitting on it. <laughs> Pope that in the right field for a single. We'll take it. We'll take it. Uh, no, we're Red Sox fans. That ball was crushed. <laughs> All right, Dan, let's let's shift over. Mike, I don't know if I have anything else 
wise, unless you want to move to the schedule. I, th- I think the schedule's good. Yeah, let's hit the schedule. Um, so, so looking at this for Boston College, in year one, new coaching staff and all this, this is not a particularly forgiving schedule, we'll say. Um, I, I mean, first of all, playing if, – if you, if you were to line up the teams 1 through 15 in the power rankings, Boston College probably gets, what, seven or so of the top – you know, the first, like, seven teams in those power rankings. Um, so a lot, of, uh, a lot of tough matchups, a number of those on the road. Uh, this is, again, just – I don't know any other way to put it. This is not very forgiving. This is going to be a, a tough road to, to, to sled on here this year. I'm just glad that they get all those games in November at home. I don't remember the last time BC had two home games in November, and one of them is Notre Dame. I'm excited about that. Of course, that's the day before my wedding anniversary, and my wife might kill me because I'll be <laughs> you know, not doing anything except screaming my head off at the television at a Notre Dame-BC game because that needs to be played every year, and I stand by that. Um, no, I mean, anytime you look at the schedule and you're and you're saying, look, we're going to play 10 games, right? That's that's what's on the schedule. The 11th game was Ohio. That obviously is no more because the uh, the Mid-American Conference uh, canceled the or postponed its season, I think, to the spring. Um, so you lose your opening game. So so now you only have 10 games and against the ACC. And, you know, I know the ACC was down last year. I mean, that's, there's no other way around it. Like the amount of, the amount of games that it lost out of conference. I think that's the, it was Clemson. And then what, what do we always say? It was Clemson. And then it was everybody else, but that everybody else, if you're one of those teams that's in that, that, that block, every single one of these games is difficult. And when you look at the schedule, you, you're seeing a lot of teams that you don't ordinarily see. I, I, last time BC played Pittsburgh and back to back years, they were in the Big East together. And I think they've played Pittsburgh, I think, twice since BC left to go to the ACC in 2005. So you're playing them back-to-back years. You don't see Pittsburgh all that often, even though you're getting them at home. You don't see North Carolina, even though they were supposed to, I think, play North Carolina on the original schedule, um, and now they keep them. You never see teams like Georgia Tech and Duke. So you're getting a good amount of teams that you just don't know like you're gonna have to rely on film the players don't know that much about them the put the coaches certainly haven't haven't had much experience in the acc though i think that you know gets a little overrated when you're talking about coaches if you're if you're hired to coach the acc you're you're expected to be able to to read a team and be able to to go head to head with any other coach in the ACC. I don't think that's unreasonable. So you're looking at a 10 game schedule right now. And anytime you're playing these teams, you're in for a, you're in for, for a fight and the amount, the, the quickness of the schedule, the depth of the schedule, the fact that you have to add in that game, you're adding in a Notre Dame into your, your schedule too. You still have to play Clemson. There's just good teams up and down this league. I wouldn't. I would hesitate to call them great. I don't think the entire league is great. I think it's Clemson, now Notre Dame, and then maybe everybody else is good. Um, you know, you're in for you're in for a ride. So it's gonna be difficult. There's no. You you lost games like Holy Cross that was gonna be your FCS game. You lost your Mid American Conference opponent. You lost games against you know those teams. I mean, you said they were gonna play Kansas again this year, though Kansas last year did not go well. Um, but it was a um, you know you look at the schedule and you and normally you're like all right, Holy Cross is a win. All right, Ohio's a win. That there's two. 
uh, now he's going to come up with like four or five to get the, of, of some of these games. You're always going to play well against Wake Forest or NC State in the, in the tough games and always give Florida State a run for their money. And now you're playing teams and you're like, well, now you got to play Notre Dame and Clemson. That's going to be it's great for us, but it's going to be really difficult. And it becomes increasingly more difficult to project what might happen when you just don't know anything really at this point. You don't know what anyone else is going to put out there either, though. Dan, I, I know you have to be careful and not and kind of plead the fifth on a record prediction, but I'm going to ask you this question. Answer it however you think is best and reasonable. For a Boston College fan in year one under Jeff Halfley with this schedule, what do you think expectations reasonably should be for the football program? I understand you can't go down the win-loss, you know, spiel but what do you think is reasonable for fans to expect in year one and what do you think their expectations should be to kind of kick off this era under jeff halfley well i'll put, I'll put it this way it's it, it's not oh. i was gonna say I'll, I'll tack this on too should there even be a record-based expectation among the fan base or should that start at a later date I mean, this season in general, I think, is going to be impossible to predict. Um, you know, when you're talking about the, the game against Ohio that, that was that was canceled off the schedule was going to be played in an empty stadium. I, I mean, and, you know, it, whether or not that game would have drawn 65 percent, we'll say, of the, you know, Jeff Halfley's first game will go up to 80 percent of the uh, of the of the, the stands and not necessarily be a sellout. Let's say you draw 38, 40,000. Again, Boston College only draw, holds 44,000 people to begin with. So when I say these numbers, I know Florida State holds double that, we'll say. So when you're when you're saying, well, maybe they'll have 36, 37,000 people for a game, when you put that at zero, I mean, that is a, that is a, a stark change. I mean, that's a, that's a major change for players and coaches who haven't played in empty stadiums before. So I think when you put in the restrictions that are around everything the the fact that we just don't know what we don't know right now that you know how are teams going to come to the table how have they been you know what have they been working on in their workouts how have you responded to your workouts you know you've got the attendance factor um i don't i don't know what the protocols are around travel like how soon you have to get down to a a game and where you stay and how you dress and how you shower and all that like i I don't i don't know any of that stuff I, i don't know how that works so it's not necessarily normally i would say in general it's not that i can't give a record prediction it's that i usually won't because you never know any given day yada yada i think i go through the same spiel where you never know what you're going to be in november versus what you are in september i say it every year but i think it's even more difficult this year because you're opening the season right now at duke i have no idea what to expect in that game i have no idea you know if it's just line them up and go hat on hat and play in an empty stadium or 10 percent 20 i don't know any of this stuff so it adds another layer to everything that i just can't predict when you're talking about, well, I don't know what the team's going to come out and roll out and play. I don't know what Duke's going to roll out and play. I, I don't know how, I just don't know even more than what I usually don't know, which is a lot. <laughs> so it's, uh, it, it's going to be reasonably back to your question, expectations. I think if the team comes out and shows progress, it's the same thing I say every year. If you come out in week one and you look good or you make mistakes, then you came out, you look good, or you made mistakes. But it's all in how you respond the next week. Do you enhance those things? Do you 
get better at the things that you were good at and do you correct the things that you made a mistake on? And that's been the message. That's been what Jeff Halfley has preached. That's what I've written about. And that's kind of where I uh, feel like this season's going to go. I mean, if you can maybe pick off some wins along the way, if you're anybody, uh, be pretty happy. Normally I'd say bull eligibility, but you know, we don't even know what the season's going to look like at this rate. So, you know, how do you how do you schedule a bowl game? Say you're playing a Big Ten team when there's no Big Ten season. So right now, so I don't know what we're looking at. I don't know what where what we're going to be talking about. So I guess the key is just get ready for Duke and worry about Duke and worry only about Duke and let everything else fall where it falls. Mike, with with this preview, we've done probably around a dozen episodes since all the quarantine stuff started and our world changed permanently temporarily how many times would you guess on this podcast we've said i don't know in that time since god way too many to count way too (laughs) many to count and i I think i think too a lot of everything that we say is prefaced and joey likes to start off a lot of our podcasts with this it's here's what we know right now like as we're recording as of right now here's what we know and this is what we think could happen as of this very moment because we know that the second we stop recording and the second we go to edit the podcast, in the span of about 15 minutes, the entire landscape can change. And it's taken numerous twists and turns throughout this entire thing, and we're not even close to being done yet. So based on what we know now, Dan, look, let's hope there's a college football season. Let's hope we can see Boston College be successful in year one under Jeff Halfley. And let's hope that there is some sort of football played this fall, right? Let's just, uh, hey, it's August 17th, and so far we still got some conferences playing to play, so that's that's better than nothing. It was looking pretty bleak there for a week or two. You know, I, I back in March, I was telling you guys this before we started recording, I, I was I was fortunate or unfortunate enough. When I say fortunate, it's because one day I'll look back and I'll, I'll tell my future my future children and grandchildren about the day that I was on air when the Ivy league was the first league to cancel. And I, and my broadcast partner that I was doing a game with had to read a read that said that sports was canceled in the Ivy league. And we were like, well, this seems extreme, doesn't it? And now, you know, when I was watching it and and the news and rumors swirl and all this stuff, I said, you know, I, and this has been my take from day one. I remember what that feeling was like. And, and so I'll never say never about anything ever again. But I will say this. I am so impressed by Boston College as an institution, impressed by the program, impressed by the protocols that have been enforced, the coaching staff, even the parents who who trust everything and, and, and everything. It's just been it's been great. They've been They've been fantastic about what they've done. The last two rounds of testing, we've had 270 odd tests, and there have been no neg- no positives. There have been no bad outcomes. So they have uh, they've done a really great job, and and I think that is a um, that is a testament to the school, the athletes, the commitment that they have to live in their quote unquote bubble. And uh, if everyone decides, and again, I'm not the guy who gets to decide whether or not there's football or not football, but if they decide, hey. BC is ready to play, and uh, and and for their sake, I, I hope that they do get a chance to to step on the gridiron this year. Well, it's been a strange year indeed, and uh, the, the weird twists and turns only continue to come along. But it seems like really the the theme of the 2020 Boston College season, top to bottom, 
is very much in line with the theme of you know the remainder of 2020, which is I don't know. <laughs> but I'm hopeful. Yeah, but we're hopeful. Yeah, and we should we're be. Hopeful, we've got optimism, but we just don't know. That, there you go. That that says it all, I think. Uh, Mike, that's all I got. Anything else for Dan while we got him? No, I think we're good here. Dan, thanks as always for jumping on with us. This is, look, we try to do these podcasts to try to maintain some sort of sense of normalcy, but I think we can say unequivocally that this is kind of one of the stranger podcasts we've gotten together to do just by nature of where we're at as a society right now with the virus and everything else, just the total uncertainty about whether or not college football will be played. I'm not sure we'll ever be in a position like this again, where we're going into a season wondering if games are going to be played like less than a month out, but here we are. So hopefully we don't have to go through any of this again. Hopefully the games can be played. Hopefully, you know, onward and upward and everybody's healthy and we can all move past this as a country, but Whew. All right. Boston College season preview. We'll, we'll check another another notch off our belt there, Joey. We got, you know, several more previews to do. And hopefully as we kind of continue down the course of doing those, we don't have to kind of deal with another college football cancellation. So we get more answers. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, Dan, this has been great. Thank you so much once again for coming and joining the podcast and, and, and talking all things Boston College in a season where it doesn't seem like a whole lot of anybody has answers for much of anything. But um, th- this ha- has been awesome and very insightful. So thanks for joining. You want to tell the people real quick where they can find your stuff? Yeah, of course. Uh, so bceagles.com, uh, Eagles Unlimited is the section. Uh, we Well, I don't know what's going to happen this year, but normally I'd say you no, know, we get some some great articles about the uh, about the all the sports, not just football. Um, there's some great student athletes at BC, and I love being able to to write about them, talk to them, you know, hear their stories, write their stories. So uh, I I don't know what's going to happen this year. I, I think, like we said, we don't know, but I, I sure hope that you know for all those athletes that they that they have a uh, that they have find whatever it is that that they get to have and and look for this year. Uh, because there's some great student athletes at Boston College, and and again at B- bceagles.com is where we write it. Um, at BC Dan Rubin on Twitter, I'll give myself the, the shameless plug and promo there. Uh, as long as you don't mind me complaining about the Boston Red Sox, which for a sense of normalcy, I can always turn to Major League Baseball and find my Red Sox getting obliterated by the rest of the division. <laughs> Lots of things change. Some things never do. <laughs> two years ago they were world series champions and they just gave up more runs in this year than pedro gave up in three years <laughs> that, what that's a stat. stat that's a stat, what a stat. dan thank you so much for coming on thank you for your time as always Th- this has been wonderful we look forward to having you on again sometime soon man love you guys good to good to be on with you appreciate it brother stay safe you too all right, Mike, once again, that was Mr. Dan Rubin of EaglesUnlimited.com on, excuse me, EaglesUnlimited at BCEagles.com. This is, I for, for whatever reason, of all of our guests, this is the one that always trips me up. I don't know why it is, but it never fails. Um, but as you heard, there's a lot of unknown with Boston College this year, and even more than there would be with most teams going into most years. Um, coaching staff change out, personnel change out, scheme change out. 
schedules shifting around. We've barely got any practices, you know, all this. So we have very little idea of what Boston College is just objectively going to look like. And as such, it's kind of really hard to then look at their schedule and feel really good about what you're predicting. I agree. And they just weren't very good last year. Um, mm-hmm. That's the that's the other part of this, right? Like they weren't great a year ago. And then you have a coaching change and a quarterback change. And we're in the middle of a pandemic, which I understand from a pandemic standpoint, everybody has to deal with it. It's something everybody is going through as far as like trying to prepare for a new season. But I do think that it's something that we have to talk about in a little bit more detail when you're evaluating first year head coaches and total scheme changes and new staffs and everything that that brings to the table. Having a pandemic in the middle of that, something unprecedented that we've never seen in our lifetime, Joey, is something that we need to bring up in this case. So it's a difficult road for Boston College. It's also difficult for us to predict where they're going to land just because we really don't know how the team is going to adjust given all of the different circumstances at play here. There is some talent on the roster. Um, Phil Dracovic, good quarterback prospect coming out of high school was a backup for Ian book at Notre Dame comes in. He's immediately eligible at BC as a grad transfer quarterback dual threat guy. Dan alluded to it on the podcast. He can make all the throws. He seems like he's a sharp guy, but he's got to pick up the offense. There are some playmakers certainly on the outside. Um, Zay flowers, obviously a, a guy that really intrigues Dan. He intrigues us too. There's obviously some transfer skill position talent there as well. Um, that could bode well for Boston College moving forward. But when you consider that the defense hasn't been as good as it had been the early part of the Steve Adazio tenure, when you consider the fact that offensively it's a total scheme change from ground and pound to spread offense, uh, to the fact that they have a new coaching staff entirely, it's just not that great of an outlook for BC, in my opinion. Um, it's, It's a manageable schedule, Joey. There are games on here they can certainly win. I mean, you look at the opener on the road against Duke. That's a winnable game. We talked during the Pittsburgh team preview about how I think Boston College can potentially surprise Pittsburgh and win that game. But BC is going to be an underdog there at home. Uh, Georgia Tech, look, struggled last year. That's a winnable game for BC, certainly. On the road against Syracuse, definitely a winnable game. Boston College always seems to give Notre Dame hell and Chestnut Hill. That seems to be a, a game that BC can potentially win. And then Boston College goes on the road to conclude the season against UVA, who lost a lot on offense when Bryce Perkins went out the door. And there's just a lot that they're going to have to kind of revamp um, with that offense. But UVA will certainly be a favorite there at the end of the year. So those are kind of the winnable games on the schedule, to be honest with you, Joey. The rest, I don't feel great about, you know, North Carolina, Virginia Tech, Clemson, Louisville, don't feel great about those. And I mentioned Notre Dame as one of those games that Boston College could like sneak up and like maybe, you know, ugly it up against the Fighting Irish. But Notre Dame is going to be a two touchdown favorite in that game easily. um, And they should win that game. I think Boston College is a three and seven team, Joey. Um, I, I just I'm not very high on them and I am for like the five year outlook. I think they could be pretty good. I think Jeff Halfley could figure it out just because of the offense he's bringing to the table and the defensive prowess that he brings uh, just being an assistant on Ryan Day's staff at Ohio State. I think that helps. 
Um, the fact that he's bringing an energy to the program, he's recruited okay since getting there to Chestnut Hill in the short time he's been there. I think that's encouraging. So it's not an easy place to recruit to. So there's a lot of things moving in a good direction for Boston College. I just don't think it's going to happen in year one. I think it's a really difficult ask considering all the schematic changes, the roster changes, and the fact that we're in the middle of a pandemic that makes it that much harder on a first-year head coach. So I'm going to say three and seven. Could be worse. Could be a win or two better. I'm just not that enthusiastic about the outlook for Boston College in 2020. Mike, I think the way that I, I would more simplify the outlook here is as we look at these this 10-game schedule in the ACC, if I set the over-under at one and a half, would you take over-under one and a half games that Boston College is favored in? Maybe the under. I kind of think the under. I mean, I, I look at this. I, at this point, I can't justify them being favored in early, you know, in mid-September against Duke on the road. Um, I think they'll pr- maybe, probably be favored at home against Georgia Tech. And then maybe you're favored either at Syracuse or at Virginia on November 7th or December 5th. But, I mean, there's a little bit... It's not only having faith in Boston College, that's also having some questions about those teams, right? Like going on the road and being favored against any of those. So that, that's kind of what I'm getting at with this being a really tough draw of a schedule is like for a team that we think is going to be one of the three or four worst teams in the conference, almost their entire schedule are the best teams in the conference. Like this is a, a brutal schedule for a team, you know, trying to get its feet under it. You know, again, new coach, new scheme, minimal practice time, all this stuff. So I, that's where I think I'm going to look at this. I'm probably going to guess like two and eight. And if you remember when we did our, our, uh, our, our power rankings, you know, quote unquote, one through 15 coming into all this, I, I put Boston College at 15 behind Georgia Tech at 14 maybe call me a Georgia tech Homer, but like, again, I don't know where the wins are on this schedule. This is, this is tough. And it's hard to say again, what a couple of these teams might be into November and December. And, you know, you get a lot of reps under you and all this, but I, I don't have a, a ton of reason at this moment to be really confident. That this is going to be a, a really competent football team in two to three months. And it might be more like uh, I, I, there's a lot of comparisons, honestly, to the Georgia Tech situation. It's just such a drastic change offensively. And there are some pieces on defense and it's got nothing to do with what I think of the potential for Jeff Halfley as a coach. Although, you know, there were more data points for Jeff Collins than there are obviously for Jeff Halfley as a head coach. But with that being said, I, I am optimistic that Halfley could be pretty good you got to start somewhere. Uh, starting at Boston College is a tough gig, but the fact that he's got the enthusiasm and the wherewithal, and he seems like a smart guy, and and he certainly got a great track record as an assistant, you know, I'm optimistic for BC for the next three to five years. I'm not that optimistic about him this year, and that's very similar to how I felt about Georgia Tech last year and how I feel about Georgia Tech going into this year. It's the same sort of thing. Like, I think there are some some hurdles you got to try to get over before you get to being like a consistent contender um, in the Coastal and Georgia Tech's case or a consistent eight or nine win team 
in the Atlantic in Boston College's case, because that's going to be the goal for both of those two schools. So a lot of comparisons there. Not that optimistic about year one for BC. I think they could surprise some people here in the next couple of years, though, with the overall outlook of the program. Yep, I, I think I agree. The, the way I would put it is I, I was skeptical about the hire. I am downright pessimistic about this year with Boston College, but I, I wouldn't be shocked if this is, again, like an eight-win team and able to jump up and pull a couple upsets you know, by year three, year four under Jeff Halfley. Like, I think it's very much on the table, but again, this year, this situation, this schedule, it, it doesn't bode well. So I'm going to go two and eight. Sounds like, Mike, you're at about three and seven, and Again, that that seems optimistic. I, I was opt. It's, that's like an optimistic three and seven. I think it could certainly be worse. I almost feel like two and eight. Like it could be worse than that. This could be like Ugh. a one. And, it could be. I'm just saying it could be. Um, you know, would that would that be the most surprising thing about 2020? No, God, no. No, it would not. Would no. Boston College being bad be a surprise to anybody? Absolutely not. Not after the Steve Adazio experience, baby. Absolutely not. <laughs> yep. So I think that uh, that sums it up pretty well here. Uh, Mike, that's all I got on Boston College. Anything else? I think we're good. I, I hope the uh, handful of Boston College fans who listen to this podcast enjoyed it. Dan is excellent. So I, I do hope at the very least, even if you're not a BC fan, you go read some of his stuff that that he does over there for the athletic department at BC. He does a great job. Oh, and he's worked his way up too, man. Like he's he's only added more and more responsibility over there and it's been awesome. So it, it is again, it is a treat having him as a friend and having him as a guy that we can have on here to give us some insights. So thanks again to his him for his time coming on here. Um Mike, let's get out of here. We're going to come back and keep previewing some teams as we keep working through the whole conference. Uh, in the meantime, they can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel SI, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. Y'all can send us an email with your questions, your comments, your concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketballpodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. <laughs> My wife distracts me in the background telling me it's time to be done here. Um <laughs> Mike, thank you for on iTunes, Google Play, whatever. There's a place you can find this. You want to tell them where they can find us on the social medias? Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference. Rate, review, find all of our podcasts there as I watch Joey get absolutely berated by his lovely wife, Maggie. It's going great, Mike. It's going great. Uh, that's all I got. Anything else? I think we're good, Joey. We're good. We're real good. Good indeed. All right. Uh, Mike, we're going to come back and preview some more teams. We'll talk then. Yep. See ya. All right. Until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. Until then, go ACC. Go ACC.